Hello, and welcome back to my Love Letter Time Machine, where we are unfolding the Victorian love story contained in the letters of two ordinary people from Yorkshire, Fred Shepherd and Jeannie Warburton. I'm Ingrid Birchall Hughes, and I just happen to be their great great granddaughter. Each week, we travel 140 years back in time to discover the latest happenings. And today, we find out how Fred was settling into his new job and how Janie's sister Emma continues to create havoc and mayhem around her. Before I begin, I have a recommendation for you. If you've been enjoying some of the bits and pieces of Victorian history that I've touched upon as part of the background of Fred and Janie's story, and you like other history podcasts, you might like to try Age of Victoria. It's a podcast that aims to rewrite our many misconceptions about the Victorians and takes a deep look into how the world changed forever during this time. I was particularly fascinated about the episode that told the story of Hannah Herbert, who was sentenced to transportation to Tasmania, and it looks at what it was like to be convicted like this. The host of Age of Victoria, Chris Fernandez-Packham, has a very soothing voice and a very gentle and occasionally cheeky storytelling style, so it's definitely one of those podcasts to relax to. So that's Age of Victoria, wherever you get your podcasts. Today we start back in Middlesbrough. Now that Fred has had a chance to recover from the upheaval of moving, and finally has his feet under the desk at the North Eastern Steel Company, he writes to tell Janie a bit more about the town and his job, but first he starts by asking Janie a question of a rather personal nature. 21 Church Street, Middlesbrough, November the 16th, 1881. My darling Janie, your letter of last Saturday I did not get until Monday morning, and mine of Sunday you would have not got until Tuesday, perhaps. I thought it best to write a letter a few days a week, and then you should have a budget for Sunday, or rather Saturday. I hope the last of mine was long enough. You will see that I answer one or two of your questions in advance. You say in your last of Saturday that I shall have to fetch you before next year. Has it not come off after all? I hope it has, my darling, for I love you too much to wish to take you before making a home for you. I wish I could be with you on Sundays, love, and then I could live the other part of the week. How are the Hicks going on? Has Carrie gone to Northampton, or is she in Sheffield? If I were your John, I would work the malt business. I think it is your father's duty to put him to it. Have you heard anything more about John and Lucy Ellen? Tell me all the particulars. How is Emma getting on now? Has she heard anything about her wedding coming off? And does she keep pretty fair? What did your father and mother say about me after I'd gone? Does your mother think my prospects sufficiently good to warrant you being my wife or not? I hope you are a little more comfortable, my darling. If you are not, try to bear it a little while, love, for my sake. With regard to your question about the washing, I do not dirty so many shirts here, as I have not had to put a clean one on at night. I have not been out much at nights except house hunting with Marston, who is rather difficult to suit. I am in splendid health, never felt better. I take my physic regular and I find I can get it in Middlesbrough. So with regard to that, I am all right. I have not been to Redcar yet. In fact, I have been nowhere but work. I am quite full up with work, rather too full. Mr Cooper said this morning that I did the work very well indeed and asked if I wanted any assistance. 
I said I will try to do it all a little longer. It is hard work. I had 19 letters to write today, but I have never minded it. Since I received your letter saying, you not think of me failing, I felt, after that, I could not possibly do so, my darling. How I wished I could kiss you for your words of encouragement. I intend writing you, William. Is his house number 189 or 191? I have forgotten. On Sunday night, I went to St Paul's Church to hear the Archbishop. He preached a splendid sermon. It is a beautiful church and a very good choir who sing the very same service as they have at Attercliffe. I'm sure you will like it, love. I am rather disappointed in the houses. They are not very well built or in good thoroughfares. Very dear, that is, in streets that answer to our west end of Sheffield. Marston expects that he will have to give £30 a year for his house altogether. They are almost all built from the same form as cemetery road houses, but the outside walls are built with bricks that they would only put on the inside wall at Sheffield, and stone houses are rare. However, I will give you all the particulars when I see you, love. The cost of bringing furniture here is very heavy. Marston tells me that it will cost him £25 to bring his house, which makes the furniture very considerable. I hope you will write so that I may get it on Sunday, my darling, and give me a long one, with all the particulars about everything and everybody, as any news is interesting in this benighted place. So far, I have only had one newspaper all the time I've been here. I am anxiously awaiting last Saturday's papers. I am going to write to Fred if I can find time. I'm writing this at 11.20pm. I have not had time before, as I like it to be quiet when I write to you, love. Thursday, November 17th, 1881. Was glad to receive your letter, but very sorry to hear of your Emma's little adamant. I can sympathise with you, my darling, in your trouble, as I have been through the same. Does not your mother have anything to say about it? Emma's a fool. I should like to screw her neck around, if for nothing else but annoying you. Remember me to Lucy Ellen, and ask her to remember me to her ma and pa. Remember me also to your mother and father, who I hope are quite well, John, Fred, Polly, etc, etc. It is not necessary, my love, to ask you to remember me for you, for you cannot possibly forget me. Hoping you are all right and usual, I remain your loving husband, Fred. P.S. I wish I could take you in my arms, darling, and kiss you as that you might forget all your troubles. A little longer, dear, and then we meet, my darling. Right for Sunday, love. Yours till death, Fred. When Fred says, has it not come off yet? He's referring to Jane's period and wondering that if she were to be pregnant, then they would have to move their wedding forward. Over the letters, Janie and Fred play this strange game of simultaneous hope and dread about this particular situation. Evidently not sufficient dread to stop themselves being intimate with one another. It can be a little confusing that they sign off their letters as husband and wife, but they are not yet married. I'm fascinated about their attitude to sex before marriage, and I get the sense that they are traversing a fine line of acceptability in that it's kind of okay-ish to sleep together if you're engaged. Their signatures often have the word husband or wife underlined, and so my sense is that to all intents and purposes, Fred and Janie regard themselves as absolutely married to each other, and that the wedding yet to come is merely a formality.
It's sad to see that Janie's brother John is out of work and that it's causing the delay of his wishes to marry. The 1881 census recorded earlier that April says that he and his older brother William were dye sinkers. Working mainly in the manufacture of cutlery, an industry for which Sheffield was world famous, dye sinkers would hand chisel the metal dyes that were used to stamp out the shapes of spoons, forks and knives. Each different pattern of a cutlery design would require a new dye for each size of item. It was a highly skilled job, requiring precision and concentration. The previous 1871 census records John as a dye sinker at 16 years old, so it was something he'd been doing his whole working life. With the recession hitting Sheffield so hard, it must have been an unsettling and difficult time for so many people. Obviously Fred has left Middlesbrough for a better chance. Janie's friends, the Higgs, appear to be going to Australia, and here John is out of work. These kinds of stories must have been repeated again and again across the city. Janie attempts to give Fred all the particulars he wanted in her next letter. Hansworth, Friday, 10.40, November the 18th, 1881. My darling Fred, I should have sent you the paper sooner, but thought your mother might have done so, and I have not had an opportunity of going to Darnall before yesterday. Your mother is better than she has been. She does miss you, but not more than I do, love. I should have liked to stay to tea with her, but had to go to Mrs Fleer's to take my dress back, and then to Sheffield. It was three o'clock then, so I had not much time to spare. I came by the 7.20 train. Maria and Earl Shirley came to the bridge with me, and then we met Lucy and John, and I had the pleasure of playing Gooseberry to them. They are a lovely couple. I should be dead in a week if I had to live with them. The wedding comes off either in a fortnight or three weeks. I am asked to tea. Lucy Ellen came to our house on Tuesday. We employed the evening in fancy needlework. I was showing her how you do some mats and doing one for myself. I shall have lots of things to show you at Christmas, love. I bought half a dozen towels at Sheffield for us, a stone jug for a shilling and an egg beater. I began making the useful things on Tuesday, such as underlinen, etc., I have done a good many of the ornamentals. John Crofts came on Wednesday night. He has a muff. He sat like a post in the room. They will have some fun at home. Lucy tells me that he is very lively when they are to themselves. I did wish he would show a bit of it when he was with us. It was slow. I did not know what to talk about to amuse them or what to do, so I've left them to themselves. I don't mean I went out of the room. I just went on with my work and thought about you. I knew I should not feel slow if you were here, my darling. Lucy Ellen has gone to Woodhouse tonight to stay there for good. They're going to live with John's mother after they are married. John earns more than I thought he did. Lucy says he never comes home under 36 shillings and calls that a bad week. I should think they will manage very nicely on that. I'm glad you like the church. It will be nice to go with you some day. I wish I could go with you on Sunday. I do miss you then, love. I did not see Mr Fitter at our church last Sunday. I wondered whether you had let him know about the Harvest Festival. The church was decorated very nicely, but not so nice as last year. You must think of me when you're going to church on Sunday, and I will think of you. I shall go to school in the afternoon, and Kate wants me to stay in for her at night, so that will be how I shall spend the day, love. I am sorry you are disappointed in the houses. They are heavily rented. Mr Marston is paying a lot of money for his furniture going. 
Has he sent it at the company risk or his own? Mrs Warburton's only cost them a little over £5 sending to Morecambe at their own risk. I'm all right, love. I was so on Wednesday. I felt bad and very sick as usual, but I'm always better after the first day. There is no fear of you having to take me yet, my darling. Our Williams are expecting their family increasing very soon, so now Polly keeps in pretty good spirits. All the rest are very well. The number of their house is 189. Our Will will be pleased to hear from you. I'm going to see them next week if possible. Carrie has not gone away yet, but is going very soon. Annie and Frank are in Northampton. Mr Higgs and Carrie will follow when it gets nearer the time for them to sail. I think it is on the 27th. I am sorry that they have to go. Annie was not very well before she went and very downhearted. She feels leaving England very much. I am glad you are in such good health. It must have been the change that upset you. Don't make yourself ill with too much work, love. I wish I was there to cheer you up when you feel tired. I shall give up writing now. Ever believe your loving and faithful wife, Jeannie. P.S. Annie Laverick sends her love and Ginny Reckless. I begin to feel quite jealous, love. I bet you anything, Janie has had her eye on that egg beater for a while. I was surprised to discover that the hand-cranked rotary egg whisk was invented back in the 1850s, so it's been around for a while. Janie is starting on her bottom drawer with a will, isn't she? I've been trying to find out more about the tradition of women filling a bottom drawer in preparation for marriage, but the information is rather sparse. I'm imagining working for two pubs will have provided quite a few donations for her to use. I'm going to see what else I can find out and then go into it in a bit more detail in a future podcast. Fred's reply touches on Janie's preparations and offers us an insight into what Fred considered should be in an ideal home. Royal Exchange Middlesbrough, the North Eastern Steel Company Limited. November 22nd, 1881. My darling, many thanks for your kind letters and papers. They have sent me last Saturdays from home so that I am quite up to date. I did not get them until Monday for this reason. Mrs Gordon, our landlady, has a father and mother living at Redcar and they gave us a very cordial invitation to go and stay Sunday with them. We went on Saturday night and came back on Monday morning at nine o'clock. These people are two of the nicest old people I ever saw and live in a house of their own in one of the best streets. And this house is about the most complete house I have seen so far. It was simply scrumptious. I feel quite resigned to Middlesbrough now that I have seen Redcar, which is only 20 minutes ride from Middlesbrough, rather shorter than the three and a half hours from Sheffield to the seaside. After breakfast, we walked on the sands to Saltburn, which is another beautiful place, five miles from Redcar. These sands are renowned for their firmness, almost being as firm as asphalt, and extend the whole distance. It was a beautiful day and quite hot. If you had been there, love, my enjoyment would have been complete. We got back to dinner at Redcar at one, and I did my duty to a roast hare and blackcurrant jelly. This old couple have a very good notion of what's what. After dinner, onto the pier. There are two piers here, 
one at Cotham and the other at Redcar. These two places are like Attercliffe and Darnell, hardly distinguishable. After tea, to church at Cotham. Terribly high. I felt quite low church when I saw the candles, the bowing, the crossing, etc. going on. This is a beautiful church, though. In this house where we were staying, they have a very fine collection of old china. I wish I could have got some for you, my darling. However, I got what I could, and that is a book of views and some seaweed. The seaweed I enclose in this letter, and you must steep it in water and then press it out. The varieties are fairly mixed. The views I shall send by book post. I should have written yesterday, but really could not find the time. I had a letter this morning from the captain of the Red Car Football Club, asking if I would play with them next Saturday. I shall write and tell him that I cannot possibly play next Saturday, as I have not any toggery, and that I cannot rely on getting off on Saturdays, and also that if I play, it will be after Christmas when things are a bit ship-shape. How does that meet with your views, love? I see by your letter that you have not secured the services of a gentleman friend to see you home, which I am pleased. I don't want to be interested in a funeral. Lucy, Ellen and John seem to be having a lively time of it. Is the wedding on Sunday? But I suppose you would not wish me to come over before Christmas. Will they expect a present from me? If so, how am I to get it to them? Your preparations for our own wedding, love, are getting quite extensive. I am sorry that I have not made a preparation at all. I don't know how. I'm glad to hear that John has so much a week. I had not expected it and felt pleased that it wouldn't be a struggle at the first. I am pleased to hear that you are all right, my love, for both our sakes. Shall write to you this week if I can find time. At present, I seem to have time for nothing. You see the difference in the ink. The above is written in the morning, and then I had to break off. There is a director's meeting today, and have been in the boardroom with them until three o'clock before I could go to dinner. They seem a very nice set of fellows, and very civil to poor me. Remember me to your William and Polly, who I hope will come out of the ordeal successfully. I have not written to anybody except Tommy Hughes at the old place. Shall write to Hagon this week if possible. I've written to Ted and Fred, but have not received any answer so far. I did think of you, my darling, last Sunday, as you suggested. Do I ever think of anybody else, love? Your suggestion about the carriage of furniture is very reassuring, dear, for I was almost expecting that it would floor us from bringing any from Sheffield. But in Marston's case, the carrier has all the risk. It will come in one of those covered vans, direct from their house, without any packing, until it gets to the house at Middlesbrough. Remember me to Carrie, and tell her I deeply sympathise with her in her trouble. You say you wish you were here to cheer me up, so do I, my darling, dearly. It will be perhaps eight o'clock tonight when I have done, and it was half past seven last night, but that does not matter. I feel that I am appreciated here, which I knew at Sheffield only when I was leaving. Remember me to Annie Laverack and Ginny. Your letter, my love, was pretty long, but even then you did not answer all my questions. I should suggest that when you write back, you have it before you and answer as you go along. Write early, love, and then I can write back for Saturday and you for Sunday. I remain as I always shall remain, your own till death. Fred Hunsworth, November the 24th, 1881. 
My darling Fred, I had to finish your letter rather quickly, so could not answer all your questions. I think I only missed two. You asked what mother said about you after you'd gone. She did not say much. She asked after you as regards to how you were getting on and so forth. She must be quite satisfied with your prospects, as she never says anything to the contrary. The other question was about our Emma's wedding. I am very much afraid that it will never come off. I believe Mr Walker wants to shuffle out of her, if possible. I don't wonder. He was talking to her in this strain last Friday, that he was very comfortable at home and not in a position to marry just yet, and that three children was a great undertaking, but that he would always call to see her when he came this way. He has always talked so different before, that he would be very pleased to take the children, and seems so fond of them, and had plenty to keep them very comfortably. The upshot of it is, he has heard some tales about her, true ones, I am sorry to say. If he had not smelt her breath and noticed something wrong, I don't know where either his nose or eyes are, for she had been like that even when he was there. I could not bear to be within three yards of her on Friday morning. She stunk of drink awfully. I shall begin to believe Mother sighs with her soon. She got some the night before last, got up in the morning with a drunken headache. Mother pitied her and sent her back to bed again, and Kate says she got some more to take with her. Mother came into the room this afternoon and said I might be civil to her when she is all right, which is very seldom. Mother is frightened of her. She has pampered her until she is quite the master. It would pay them better if they would allow her a pound a week and not have her in the house. They would clear 30 shillings, if not more. Mother has no idea what she is robbing her of. The glasses she takes are never under a shilling, and when she comes to have half a dozen a day, it soon mounts up. Father says he is nearly ruined this year. He has barely sufficient to carry the malt business on. Who but her is doing it, and so to think what he has done for her, and she keeps going on in this way. She has not a particle of shame in her. But, my darling, I will give you not more of her. You will be sick of it. I shall try a pleasanter subject, but it will have to be short. It is seven now, but do write for Saturday. I will for Sunday. Many thanks for the seaweed. It is very pretty. I could almost imagine I was with you at Redcar by the smell of it. Would that I could have been with you, love. I should have enjoyed it. I do miss you on Sundays. I was miserable in the evening. I'm glad you like Redcar. By the views, I think it is a gem of a place. John and Lucy are going to be married on Saturday, sooner than I expected. I have partly made Lucy's dress. I do not think they will expect a present from you, but if you would like to give them something, I will get it for you, love. I shall have to give up. It is past time. I will write more Saturday. Ever believe me to be your faithful and loving wife, Janie. So, the Emma saga continues. The exchange in these letters are the first mention of the possibility of Emma getting married again. The 1881 census records her as Emma Warburton, not Emma Herod. So after the divorce, she must have reverted to her maiden name. I've looked up the most likely walkers in the area, but it's all conjecture as to which of these might have been Emma's reluctant suitor. There's a Charles Walker who was born in Handsworth in 1848, so just a couple of years older than Emma, and was now running a confectionery shop in Attercliffe. And it's possibly him, but without a first name, there's no way to be sure. 
This is one of the letters from Janie where I feel almost convinced that Emma has lost some sort of grip on reality. She had a chap who was interested in her, even though she'd been divorced, and she just can't seem to stop herself from mucking it all up. There's a dark comedy to Janie resorting to locking Emma in her room when there are visitors, but oh my goodness, it's kind of horrific too. I think Janie's distress, and perhaps even panic, is hard to take. How on earth do you deal with someone who has an alcohol problem in a pub? There is definitely a sense here that Janie believes now that Emma has her divorce, she should be getting on with her life. You can feel her frustration with her mother and her deep worry for her father. At this point, James is 67 years old, and in the photo I have of him, he appears tired, and there's a frailty too. Janie is obviously beginning to fear that Emma's behaviour will tax James's health beyond endurance. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you for listening to my love letter time machine. Next time, Fred manages a trip back to Sheffield to headhunt staff for his new works. And of course, he makes sure that he sees Janie. In the meantime, perhaps you could show the podcast some love by clicking on the ratings, leaving a review or sharing it with someone you think might enjoy it. And if you'd like to write to me, you can at myloveletterTimemachine at gmail.com. Until next time, take care.